Okay, here we go. This is my day 10 on the Camino. It's day three for BK Lee, the Korean man whose video I'm following. So if you've just joined, I'm retracing my steps on the Camino. Let me get my speed up here. Okay, my incline down. So I'll go up to 4.4 kilometers an hour. And uh, yeah, it's been a few days. I kind of uh, stopped and then uh, found it hard to start again, the usual. I mean, I guess when I was on the Camino, no choice of staying in a hostel every night and lights to come on at 6.30 in the morning. And the nightmare began again. Of course, there's always a good feeling arriving at the end of the day, have a cold beer, meet some people, have a chat, eat something, wash your clothes, go to bed, and the nightmare starts again the next morning. And to say, um, when I use the phrase nightmare, I don't think I'm exaggerating. That's what it felt like to me, not being a morning person, not being a big hiker. And yet here I am redoing it, albeit in much smaller chunks. And yeah, once I, if I don't get up early to do it before work, then I say I'll do it at lunch or after work, and then it usually doesn't happen. And uh, so tonight it's Saturday night at um, 8.30 p.m. And uh, well, I had a quiet enough day, but I did do some writing, which is good if you know, 400 words or something, which honestly is the most I've done in, in a couple of weeks. Hopefully do a bit more after this. But I kind of said, I gotta get up on the treadmill. I gotta do it today somehow uh, because the longer I leave it the more likely it is I'll quit and I guess like the original Camino I've decided I'm not going to quit this one you kind of had less choice I, I had less choice on the real Camino I flew into Biarritz on the French side of the Pyrenees start walking from there I had a train a plane rather booked from Santiago de Compostela, five weeks or so hence. So there was a certain impetus to keep moving. Obviously, I could have quit and just had a, an extended holiday. But what would I have done with myself? Probably would have spent more money, would have been disappointed with myself, wouldn't have met as many people. Wouldn't have lost weight. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I guess... Am I a quitter? I can be. But overall, if I really set my mind to something, then no. This treadmill is squeaky. I'll just try and set the incline to one. I think that might be better. Um, it just seems this whole... Camino on a treadmill. Oh, that does sound better on one for the moment. This whole Camino on a treadmill is intertwined or intertwined with my book. And that's something I'm not going to quit either. Moving a little bit more today. I just know I'm, I'm not getting into details about the story, but it's a little stuck because just doesn't have what they call enough jeopardy to move it on and enough kind of cause and effect but there's something in there that's that is emerging and it seems I started with an Irish editor in London TV editor he, right now he's back in Galway and I feel like I'm discovering what the story is really about in that bit so, I say discovering. It's like, yeah, I haven't discovered it yet, but hopefully. So, it's dawn here in, um, not here, I'm in Galway, but in on the video I'm looking at, it's dawn. 
and uh, BK, our walker, is just leaving Zubiri on his way to La Resuona, or something like that. I'm sure I'll remember the town he passes through where I met the guy, the crazy guy who ran a little supermarket, little shop. Why do I call it a supermarket? A little shop with bits and pieces of food. And uh, he, was, he had a record player going, playing, I think, Leonard Cohen, Rolling Stones, uh, various kind of a mishmash of songs. And uh, I, oh, I think he was playing ACDC at one stage. I may have made a note of that. Or not ZZ Top. Regular listeners will know I'm still practicing ZZ Top on my guitar. I've been slacking a bit on that too the last few days. Uh, God, what's, I can't even remember the name of the song right now. Oh yeah, Sharp Dressed Man. Every girl's crazy about a sharp dressed man. So they say. So yeah, the guy in the shop, he kind of sold various things, bought some clothes pegs there, bought pincho tortilla, a slice of Spanish omelette, which he heated for me, and a beer, had it out the back. And uh, as I said before, he said to me, I was obviously coming across as intense and wound too tight for this gentleman. He said, you need to relax. I should, uh, I should print that on a surface and frame it, put it on my wall. It's good advice for anybody. And uh, it would appear this gentleman believed I was in particular need of this advice. So there you go. Oh man, I'm getting warm already. Let's see, put on the fan. Yeah, I'm overdressed. Silly me. So this is gonna be a tough one, I think. No, it'll be okay. See, as long as I keep talking nonsense, keeps my mind off the drudgery of it all. Let's have a quick look at my, I have notes on my computer, I'll find something to talk about. Let me see. I've made a note there, wigs on the green. That's just an expression I used to hear when I was growing up. You never hear it anymore. People would say, you know, if your daddy comes home and catches you doing whatever you're doing, there'll be wigs on the green, which means there'll be, um, it won't be pleasant. There'll be a fight or something. The expression comes from, in days of old, days of yore, when gentlemen used to wear wigs and they would then have a fight on the green, I guess, on the kind of square, maybe the green in the middle of the village or whatever. They would take off their wigs, place them carefully on the green, hence wigs on the green. There's one for you. Uh, somehow, despite my propensity for BS, I don't think I'll be able to craft a whole hour out of wigs on the green. I do have to laugh at myself. I was complaining here before about DJs with their inane utterances that are designed to keep us distracted from our existentialist angst or whatever. And uh, I proclaimed that I would rather live with the existentialist angst than have the time passed, which would have passed anyway, as Beckett says, as I'm fond of quoting, than have the time passed by listening to inane utterances from DJs. I then, shortly afterwards, proceed to do... Uh, oh, the noise just got louder here, okay. What are we hearing here? Okay. I proceeded to do a whole um, episode about starting about Tinder and then moving on to Farley's Rusks, which is a type of biscuit for babies. 
and I reckon I knocked a good half hour out of Farley's rusks. So I figure I am no longer in a position to criticize or critique our friend, the inane radio DJ, for have I not joined him in the ranks of profound inanity? Is that even a word? I dare say it might not be. So, in fairness, I have a harder job than him. He just has to spout a bit of BS in between songs. I have to talk for an hour. <laughs> of course, I don't, nobody's making me do it except myself. Not sure if anyone will ever hear me. Let's see what else we got topic-wise, though. Tinder, we've done that. Oh, The Graduate. I don't think I talked about that yet. What a great film. I saw it recently, just, I don't know, a week ago, on uh, Irish TV. You don't get much good on TV these days. In the old days, on, well, particularly on English TV, on BBC Two, they showed amazing films. I mean, films that are part of, you know, film history, really good films. And RTE, in fairness, RTE 2, was it two or one, actually, maybe it was. Anyway, showed some great films, especially, I think, Friday nights after the Late Late Show. Those days have gone. So it was nice to see The Graduate, funnily enough, actually, after the Late Late Show. And uh, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman. Anne Bancroft as the famous Mrs. Robinson. What a great film. Uh, every time I see it, I've seen it a few times, it never fails to disappoint. And sometimes I forget, or at least this time, I had, I think I'd half forgotten how funny it was. And I, I mean, it was, I think, marketed as a comedy, or I think if you Google it, they call it a comedy, and on one level it essentially is, but there's definitely something deeper going on there too. And uh, let me just turn down the volume of um, BK, the, of the video in my ears, because I'm, I can barely hear myself think, that's better. So. Um, I had to switch technology here because I was using an old tablet which was slow and my videos weren't, my audio wasn't syncing with the video when I went to edit it. Hopefully that it will be better this time. Um, but The Graduate is definitely, it's just showing a young man coming out of, a young rich, a man of rich parents coming out of I think an Ivy League college his whole life ahead of him. Doesn't really know what he wants out of life. And what's being offered to him is just so incredibly dull and boring. His uh, dad's business partner, the husband of the famous Mrs. Robinson, tells him one word, plastics. Get into plastics. He says, uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman said, yes, I will certainly look into that. But the film is definitely critiquing the society that awaits this young man just after coming of age. And then, of course, there's a whole story about his affair with Mrs. Robinson and his love for her daughter, Elaine. And my friend Declan, who I mention every so often, who did the Camino and is also a film buff, was saying to me before he read about the last scene when they're on the bus and they escape. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend the film. But and they look forward and they sort of realize, there's a realization that comes over them or that's inherent in the image. They're just looking at these people staring back at them in the bus. And you realize 
There's nowhere for them to go. Not even young love can transcend the, um, this sort of prism of materialism, capitalism. I'm trying not to talk about isms here. Um, but I love the film, still. I loved it when I was, I probably saw it. My father introduced me to it. When it was on TV, I was probably similar age to the Dustin Hoffman character, Benjamin, can't remember his surname. I loved it then, but I love it now as well. But most importantly, last time I saw it, oh, by the way, the noise here is quite bad from the video, so I'll have to I'll turn that down a lot. Um, just the last time, I just found it so hilarious. Even though I knew it was coming. Oh. And Anne Bancroft, she's so wonderful in it. Then I was Googling her, didn't realize she was married to Mel Brooks. I just thought there's hope for us all. Mel Brooks, still alive, Anne Bancroft, sadly passed away within the last, I think around the turn of the century, thereabouts. Uh, I mean, she's, she was a gorgeous woman. Mel Brooks, I think it's fair to say, will be noted for many things, maybe not his looks. So it gave me hope, although his bank balance was somewhat larger than mine. But I'm not saying that why she, why, that's why she married him. But it's an attractive quality in anyone, a bit of liquidity, nothing wrong with that. I dare say he was, he's, I think they shared a sense, similar sense of humor and from what they said, both of them said they just were entwined from when they met, which is beautiful. So, I hear he was maybe a bit of a tough cookie to work with though, that's often the case. Just because he's funny, doesn't mean he was easy to work with. There's a lot of money involved in films, so where there's money, there's always going to be, I think, a certain amount of strife. So surely I can say more about The Graduate. And yet, strangely, I'm kind of coming short here, coming up short. I have a note about Thanksgiving. Um, should save that the, at the rate I'm going like it's February now I've given myself the year to do this which is lots of time if I start missing a lot it could come up to Thanksgiving by the time I'm finished I hope not though let's, let's aim to be a bit better than that I'm not commenting much on the video it's, it's really just before dawn or they call the magic hour, I guess. And uh, BK is just walking alone, I think, along a path with just this light is creeping into the sky, and the road and the ditches on each side are just kind of dark. Telegraph pole hovers to the right. Doesn't actually look that bad, it's kind of nice looking one I dare say it doesn't sort of ruin everything so let's see time wise how am I doing oh it's not too bad I've been walking for 19 minutes I'm nearly a third through Thanksgiving probably saved that for a bit I spent I'm not from the States, but I spent, I think, three Thanksgivings in the States. The first one, I was in a lake house on the um, uh, outside LaGrange in Georgia, on the, a few miles from the Alabama border, maybe an hour from Birmingham, Alabama maybe 90 minutes from Atlanta. 
looked it up on the map the other day. In my head, I thought I had been north of Atlanta, but it seems I was more like south um, west. Why am I talking about that? That was my first Thanksgiving. All I say is, I was, uh, there were all sorts of promises of a dinner, but I ended up eating recycled, well, reheated Papa John's pizza uh, with a friend in, uh, in a lake house on the Alabama border. And there was also a, an incident with a, involving a blocked toilet. And I think, I'm sure I could carve a few minutes out of talking about that, but I suggest we drop it. All in favor, say aye. Okay. All against dropping it, say no, nay. Okay, the eyes have it, the eyes have it. Okay. So, here's another note I have. George Costanza, George Costanza's version of God. I feel like I had something much more interesting lined up to talk about. Angry painter in Air Street. Oh yeah, that's a good anecdote. I'm trying to be deep though, you know. You know, my 11 amusing anecdotes, gonna have to sort of uh, ration them out over the course of my 100 or plus walks. So uh, gonna have to be a little deep in between the hilarious anecdotes, which no doubt shall get repeated. Buen Camino. So, uh, George Costanza's version of God. Yeah. Any North American listeners, Buen Camino, will know who George Costanza is. Irish UK listeners, maybe not all of them. Character from Seinfeld. I have to admit, he's my favorite character. He's a total screw up, but he's based on Larry David, essentially. And uh, he's a screw-up, but I love him. Like, Jerry is kind of the straight character in Seinfeld, let's face it. The comic foil, isn't it? Is that what they call him? Um, is Elaine straight? No, Elaine is funny. Uh, Kramer is that kind of, yeah, clownish funny. A lot of people like him. When I lived in Canada, I used to ask people, mainly women that I met in, Salsa Trance or wherever. Who was their favorite Seinfeld character? Most of them said Kramer. I don't think they were too impressed when I said George because they were wondering maybe, am I like him? And to that question, I plead the fifth. Um, I just remember his version of God there was some time a lot of bad stuff was going down for him. And he made some reference to, oh, Buen Camino. You know, typical God, Buen Camino. Buen Camino, Buen Camino. So uh, what language are they speaking now? We'll never know. Just gonna have some water here. So, George was, as usual, suffering. And I don't know, was he talking to Elaine or to his shrink? But he was saying, you know, I blame it on God. God is punishing me. And someone said to him, but I thought you don't believe in God. And he said, only for the bad things. <laughs> and I just thought, that's so, that, that would, fit a lot of, I guess, I think, Irish Catholics. A lot of the God, this concept of God, we heard about when I was a kid. A lot of it seemed to be only for the bad things. They used to talk about the gospel being the good news. I guess, oh, BK has stopped. I guess he's taking a picture. Um, Yeah, they called the gospel good news. But you'd go to church 
priests, in fairness, could have done with a bit of maybe training or elocution lessons or acting lessons. I don't know, just, not just that. They could have done with a lesson of putting a positive spin on things because the way they sold it to us, like you see those Baptist churches or, well, I'm not sure if they're Baptist. I'm thinking about in the South, Southern states of America, I'm thinking black churches. And they're singing and clapping, hallelujah. It wasn't like that here in Ireland, growing up, on the whole. It was, as I like to call it, it was a peculiarly Victorian flavor of Catholicism. I like saying that because I like the word Victorian. It also makes it sound exotic, like, you know, there, as I say, there was a lot of bad stuff. There were, I don't think you can blame everything on the church. People seem to think you can. There's a debate about that at the moment. It would seem some people are saying no society, it was nothing to do with society, but you know, I just don't know. Can you separate out all those things that easily? But, so here I am talking about our Victorian, I love saying that Victorian flavor of Catholicism, because then it sounds like, you know, a Charles Dickens novel or something. Suddenly the bleakness seems kind of exotic or something. So let's stick with that one. So if I could just remember my train of thought. Um, so yeah, I mean, they talk about the gospel being good news, but the tone of voice didn't really seem to match the message and seemed to be a fair bit of judgment, hardcore judgment thrown in with it. And it just didn't seem like a lot of fun. I'm not saying life has to be fun all the time, but I think most of us are looking for something to make it uh, livable, at least. A sense of meaning, they say, is the best. I'd say it probably is the best thing to have, to cope with life, whatever, wherever you get that from. And a bit of compassion. But like I say, we'd be told about the good news. We'd be told about Jesus saying, let he use it without sin, cast the first stone. But then outside in small town Irish society and I'm not saying it was exclusive to us, but that was what I w was my only reference at the time. There was so much small-mindedness and secrecy, you know, so... Of course, we were just emerging from being a peasant society under colonial rule not that long ago. I think it's fair to say we were bound to uh, have a few imperfections. And uh, we probably, we did give too much power to the church. I do actually think that some of those priests and nuns were, were kind of miserable as well, That's when I look back. We had a lovely nun though in, um, when I went to school in Oren Moore. In, uh, outside, outside Galway City, Sister Teresa. Um, she was just so lovely. And I'm not saying she was lovely because she was a nun. Other brands of humans are available. But, yeah, she was nice. Uh, some of the others seemed to be quite... Just, I would say, looking back on it, not that happy. But, uh, pardon me, I'm just a little bit of indigestion there. Um, I'm just wondering, are we, I'm just not so sure, are we 
much happier now. It, it's great that we had to throw off certain shackles. We may have thrown the baby out with the bathwater, though I don't think that's a popular argument nowadays. But either way, are we happy? Uh, I don't want to get into a sort of three Yorkshiremen, or was it four Yorkshiremen scenario, the, the Monty Python sketch. They talked about how miserable their existence was when they were young, but uh, they were happy. I'm not gonna go down that road. I mean, I remember visiting Burkina Faso, West Africa, and there was a party. I was involved, I was with the, in a private film school there, helping out making these films. I, I felt slightly uncomfortable because it was all white men, white European men, um, allegedly educating the, the Africans. I kind of realized when I was there that quite a few of the students I was dealing with had, you know, a lot of experience anyway. So, but overall I still enjoy, I enjoyed the experience, but I remember one night there was a big party thrown. This couple of Swedish women were over who had given money, Buen Camino, who had given money to, um, I guess the film school or to some local cause and there was a big party and the two Swedish women, the philanthropists, though I'm not sure if it was actually their money, but anyway, they got up and made a speech and I just, I wasn't, um, I didn't really feel comfortable with the whole situation. I'll tell you the bit that I really didn't like. So they were giving out beer. Okay, so first of all, the two Swedish women are up telling us how great they are. Okay. Uh, uh, fair enough, maybe they are. Uh, that's already, I'm not even some crazy liberal, but uh, if you want to give them money, give them money. But you, you know, do you really have to stand up on stage for the acclaim? Maybe I'd do the same, I don't know. We all like a bit of a claim. But um, what really made me uncomfortable was, so they, they'd locked the gates of the college, the film school. They were, this was kind of outdoor because of course it was hot and it was the evening and there was free beer there. Now, the beer was really cheap for me. I can't remember. It was like when I first went to Russia you could get beer for three cents a bottle. When I was in Burkina Faso, maybe it was 20 cents a bottle. I mean, maybe more, I don't know, but it was, for me, peanuts. And um, I, uh, yeah, so a couple of local guys got in. So they're handing out the free beer. I got a bottle. Then two local guys were trying to get beer and they were told, no, not for you, you're not part of this group. Now, I'm no saint, but just surely anybody could see how just, well, I think how ridiculous that whole situation was. So anyway, I went back for a couple more beers and then gave them to the two guys. I think I openly gave them to them in front of the beer dispenser. Just Again, maybe I should, um, <laughs> maybe I should have got up on stage and announced what I did. I got a bit of a flame. I missed, here we get, here's an arrow telling us to turn left. The arrows are important on the Camino. Trust me, if you miss one, you can end up, uh, well, obviously getting lost. But 
I mean, I say I wasn't looking for a claim, but no, I did tell. I remember saying to another guy, English guy, he was there, I said, this is ridiculous. And I said, I said, I'm just getting beer and giving it to the locals. And I don't know if he quite saw it, but there's me now trying to say I'm better than him. I'll let you decide. But of course, the two guys kept harassing me to get the beer after that. So, which I obliged as much as possible. But I guess, oh, BK stopping for some water. Oh, I'll take a drink of water as well while I'm at it. Um, oh, that's nice. That's another thing we take for granted is water. I remember in Burkina Faso, sometimes a shower wouldn't run. There's so much we take for granted here. That's why when I hear people complaining about COVID, I get in trouble for saying this, but honestly, a sense of perspective actually, forget about being a saint or any of that nonsense. It actually makes things easier to take when you remind yourself of that. I guess it's what they call gratitude. And trust me, I don't always follow my own guidance on that front, but I think most of us know on the days when you find it in you to be grateful for small things, life seems a little bit more, um, just a little easier. So why did I get to telling that story? I guess that was me just getting up on the stage for a little bit of a claim. Look at me. I'm better than the Swedish philanthropist. I'm better than the English guy who had told the story to. St. James. Santiago. That's what Santiago means, isn't it? St. James, well. If you came to this podcast looking for guidance from a saint, it would appear you came to the right place. There was another reason I was telling that story. Um, I'm, try I'm trying to look at my notes here. Thanksgiving, George Costanza on God. I haven't a clue. I know I was talking about mass in Ireland and just how, yeah, they talked about being good and being nice and all that stuff. <laughs> and then everyone goes out and it's a small, mean-minded kind of, as I would say, post-colonial, post-peasant society. Could I get in trouble for saying that? Probably not because nobody's listening. It's like if you make, if you chop down a forest and nobody hears, is there a sound? I think uh, if you chop down a tree, yeah, I think chopping down trees is kind of in a, an empty forest. That's what I'm doing. An expression just popped into my head. It's a, it's either, I think it's a Zen proverb before enlightenment, um, chopping logs, fetching water. After enlightenment, Chopping logs, fetching water. Oh, I hate that one. It's like, what's there to like about it? Because I hate chopping logs and fetching water or any equivalent, any manual labor. Even it would appear I hate artistic slash cerebral labor to wit, writing this bloody book that I'm boring you to death talking about. It would appear I hate, at least at some level, pretty deep level, um, I hate everything except sleeping. Bit of an exaggeration, just a little bit. But I'd rather, you know, think before enlightenment, 
uh, chopping logs, fetching water. After enlightenment, getting somebody else to chop the logs and fetching the water, like that's, that sounds pretty enlightened to me. But then there's a whole, yeah. Then we get into the whole thing of power structures. <laughs> yeah. As I said, I've been honest about it. I think I'd make a great dictator. And certainly, if I was, as yes, an enlightened dictator. Come on. If I was a dictator, do you really think I'd be fetching? If I was an enlightened dictator, do you really think I'd be fetching my own logs? Or fetching my own water and chopping my own logs? Not a chance. Not a chance. So, um, really trying to work my way back to what I was, the point I was trying to make. There was something about mass, the good news, peasant society, Victorian Catholicism. And then I started talking about Burkina Faso. Just about that whole situation where the, um, what do you call them, people who give money, the philanthropists were up on stage telling you how so great they were. And then I proceeded to tell a little anecdote to explain how great I am. And actually, in a way, I am quite humble because nobody's probably listening, so. If you brag, if you boast and nobody listens, did you really boast? We'll never know. I was there saying to myself, don't say we'll never know. But then, in the absence of anything else to say, it, 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 it slipped out. So, I have another note, David versus Goliath. And I could knock a bit of time out of that one. I remember, I think I may have mentioned before when I was in school, Sister Ursula, the nun, like we were really young, I was in what we call high infants. So I was, I don't know, eight, seven, eight, whatever, six, young anyway. And uh, she said, the Bible is the best book ever written. So I got my parents, said to my parents, I gotta get this Bible thing. So I got, um, you know, children's Bible. In that shop, I think it was Happy Days, a news agent in Galway, which has closed down recently. One of those shops, they had all sorts of things in there. It was tiny, but full of stuff that kids would like. I think we got walkie-talkies there once for Christmas or birthday or something. Um, but, uh, oh yeah, so my parents got me the Bible, children's Bible, easy to read, lots of pictures, and definitely, and I may have talked about this before, but the Old Testament, it's a little bit more entertaining in many ways, just those mad stories, Tower of Babel, Samson and Del Samson, Samson, Delilah. I don't really remember where she fitted in, but doesn't she connected to John the Baptist as well, who wanted his head on the plate? I'm not sure, but there may have been a picture of John the Baptist with his head on a silver platter. But the picture that I remember the most is Samson with the long hair. I kind of looked like him at the moment, actually. And, uh, standing up and putting out his arms and pushing the pillars and oh yeah he's blinded as well they blinded him so his eyes were gouged out and he's pushing the pillars and the building's falling down they're all freaking out oh no and uh, then there was a thing about them cutting his hair that must have been after that because he had long hair in that picture so they cut his hair and then he lost his power so maybe I should uh, keep the hair growing. But there is a reason why I thought of, oh, that is Swana. Is this the place with the mad shopkeeper playing records? 
Wouldn't it be great if you went in there, but I don't think it's on the trail. If the guy was there playing records and he says to BK, you need to relax. Yeah, that's unlikely. We're taking, I'm taking bets, so if anyone wants to place a bet. Um, Samson, oh yeah, but the reason I got onto that, I made a note about David and Goliath. And a friend of mine, we were talking about Rocky, the Rocky films, Rocky Balboa. I kind of love them all. I love, uh, as well, the new you know, Creed 1, amazing. Creed 2, very good, not as good. But, yeah. But the early Rocky films, like, there's one that's supposed to be a complete turkey. Is that Rocky 3? I'm not sure. See, I either didn't saw that or I saw it when I was really young. But, like, Rocky 4 was kind of controversial. Oh, hold on, geese. He's taking a picture of the geese. I feel like I remember them, but I'm getting a bit of deja vu, but I'm, I've been known to get that. A lot. Um, so, Samson. Um, whatever was I talking about? Oh yeah, so anyway, Rocky IV, isn't it for the one in the Soviet Union? And it's Rocky versus Igor Dragoff. Which, by the way, Creed II revisits that story. I was like, when they revisited that, I was, oh yes. Thank you. Thank you, um, Mr. Scriptwriter. Uh, the guy who wrote Creed One, I think he directed it too, right? He's, Kind of a big shot now. Uh, but I was actually, so, you know what? I'll be able to talk for the next, let me see, I only have 13 minutes left. We're talking about boxing films and uh, David versus Goliath. So, and then tomorrow we'll do a whole Old Testament special because got a lot of those stories knocking around in my head. And, uh, so, <sighs> I was saying, talk, talking to a friend who's into films, as I am, and into script writing and all that about it. I just had a realization, when I think maybe around the time of Creed 1, I was watching it and got really invested in it, and then by the time of the fight, I was so invested, I was literally cheering them on, and I was kind of mock-punching you know, with my own fists. I mean, subtly and quietly. Hopefully no one noticed. But, Buen Camino. Reminds me of a film I saw actually called Lagam or something, set in India, which ends with a long cricket match where the Indians play the British, the English um, Raj or whatever they call them. Great film. Because was, that was like a real cricket match too at the end. Oh. Uh, of course, watching it in Ireland, everyone was, I, I feel in my memory, everybody was cheering on, I certainly was. So anyway, Creed, Rocky, boxing films. I was talking to my friend Kieran about boxing films and just saying they work so well because, and here's something I'm not really doing with my writing at the moment. You know exactly you're so clear about what the protagonist needs and ultimately it comes down to when you boil it down they need to knock out this their enemy the, the antagonist in the ring that's really when you boil it down what they need and that's so simple and it's great when when the need and the want at that level at the physical level is clear and simple because you watch a lot of films or if you looked at current draft of my book in its current condition, you'd say you're not really clear what the character wants. In a boxing film, you're so clear, at, at least at the basic level. Then you add the emotional stuff on top of that. And I don't know, even when it's done badly, <laughs> I mean, Rocky IV 
it, uh, it was and is, so to say, anti-Soviet propaganda. But I see it now, and I just kind of love it, because it's so corny. You know, Rocky, I mean, yeah, it's sad. Uh, uh, his uh, nemesis in the ring turned friend and trainer, Apollo Creed, gets killed by Dragov in the ring. And of course, this time it's personal. Rocky has to take him on. Won't tell you who wins, but there's a whole training regime and they show Rocky ends up training in the wilds of Siberia. In, I think it was Siberia. Anyway, it was cold and snowy and uh, he's no fancy equipment. He's just dragging, he starts dragging, I think, a plow behind him or something, tree trunk as well. And then, or does he help a farmer with his plow? Like he's helping the local Soviet people and they're grateful for, to him. And it's intercutting, there's a training montage where it intercuts uh, Rocky with, um, with Dragov. And Dragov is training in an indoors gym, running around a, you know, an indoors, uh, what do you call it, track, punching, uh, pumping weights and punching a punch ball. They have all this digital equipment measuring his punch. And, and, uh, and of course, the, uh, it wouldn't be a Soviet anti-Soviet propaganda film without the obligatory close-up of the syringe injecting anabolic steroids into him. And uh, I mean, the Ruskies were known for that, but our friend Lance Armstrong was in a spot of bother over the same behavior, I think. It's par for the course in many ways. So it's, it's really tacky. And Dragov is portrayed as subhuman. Actually, they humanize him more in Creed too, which is great. But I have a friend whose name shall go unmentioned, who's very literal about things, and also seems to be obsessed with height, which uh, for me isn't good because, okay, he's like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, or something. I'm like, officially I say 5'6". I'm sticking with that story. Maybe a little less, some might say. Uh, fake news. But he was, yeah, he's quite, what's the word? Literal about things and obsessed with height. So I mentioned Rocky Four, and he just said, yeah, you know, Stallone is 5'10". And, oh, what's the guy who plays Dragoff? Okay, the name escapes me as usual. Um, is 6'4". And I'm like, yeah, but like he was saying that in sort of disbelief, but like that's David versus Goliath. That's, that's the whole idea. I mean, are you tearing it apart on that, saying it's not realistic? What's realism got to do with it? Um, so yeah, like how old is that story, David versus Goliath? How old is it? Like, obviously pre-Christ, so more than 2,000, but I don't know, a few thousand years old. I'm not a biblical scholar. Funnily enough, I applied for Bible studies once after school as a sort of plan B. I didn't get anything I applied for. I never studied, so I didn't get the points. Um, but where was I? Oh yeah, how old is that story and we're still telling it, you know? Like Luke Skywalker versus the Death Star. That's David versus Goliath, so many films are. And I can't believe I'm quoting Star Wars because I'm pretty sure in another session I was bemoaning the fact that grown men talk about space movies and superhero films as if they're high art. Spoiler alert, they're not. I'd get in trouble but there's no one listening. And certainly not, if anyone's listening, I think it's a safe bet they're not into superhero films. I could be proved wrong. I could end up in the same kind of hot water that Martin Scorsese ended up in. Um, bring it on. I'll do anything for fame. <laughs> I don't know, the meatloaf song just came into my head there. 
And I will do anything for her love, but I won't do that. We used to have conversations about what that was. Uh, that was always a subject of speculation. Our um, theories were not fit for printing, as you can imagine. And when I say we, I guess I mean me and my contemporaries. I was just a young, innocent schoolboy, good Irish Catholic. Lara Swana, welcome to Basque Country. Now this I remember, and I took a picture of this exact place. Yeah, welcome to Basque Country. But I thought he was already in it. And I saw some graffiti about war and about ETA, the paramilitary group somewhere around here. So there you go. Don't know enough about the subject to talk anymore about it. Oh, the sun's coming up. Bit of cloud over to the right. Looks like a nice day. Uh, Luckily, I've only got four minutes to go. So, have I anything more to say about Rocky and boxing movies? Not really. I really, it was a roundabout way of getting around to, um, um, not Samson, but David versus Goliath. I still remember, yeah, the Old Testament the scourge of locusts, all that stuff. The thing is, I sometimes say we're lost nowadays, but you know, you go on Tinder and everybody says, what do you like? I like Netflix and I'm a foodie. I just think if I was back in Old Testament days dealing with the plague of locusts, I'm sure I'd be like, oh God, these locusts are really kind of giving me a pain in the butt. But um, just seems a little bit more exciting than Netflix and being a foodie. Like, okay, they didn't have Netflix then, but I doubt anyone had time to be a foodie. I mean, there you had poor old David. Didn't he become a king, King David? But he wasn't always a king, but he said, oh no. I was gonna say he went to the front of the battle, but actually, oh, he was crafty. He sent, he was in love with a woman. I was about to say this is the kind of thing I'd do, but would I? I definitely think about it. So he was in love with a woman. Of course, she had another guy, typical. What does he do? See, now this is way more dramatic than Tinder. Way more dramatic. He sends him, so David was commandeering the battle, so he must have been the king at the time or something. And he puts the guy, his nemesis, at the front of the battle. What happens? Of course, he gets killed. He's on the front lines. And I think David, does he get to have his wicked way with the woman in question or marry her or something? But I think he felt a bit bad. You see, I think I'd think of doing that but I probably wouldn't do it because I'd, I just want to think I'm a nice person. But then maybe I'd engineer a way <laughs> that somebody else does it. You know, uh, if I could find a way, I'd, you know, like say the guy in question, let's say his name is Tom. I'm sure it wasn't. Mind you, if David's name is David, that's a pretty regular name. Yeah, Tom. Tom and Mary. Mary is a love interest. So I'd be there saying to Tom, I think I'd say, oh, you're going out to battle. I'd say, yeah, you know, Mary was a saint. She'd be really proud, like, if you fought on the front line. Something, something like that. No, I'd still feel guilty. Oh. See, I'd, I'd contemplate all these things, but I wouldn't have the kahunas to go ahead. See, an alpha male now. I suppose David was an alpha male, wasn't he? He just said, yeah, you go, go to the front line. Now, to be continued, uh, we only have 13 seconds left. Hallelujah, brother, I made it. Okay, so 
Thank you for listening. Two seconds left. One, zero. We're done. Uh, pause the video. And uh, buen camino. See you on the other side, hopefully tomorrow. God willing. God bless. Buen camino.